Hello, Sopranos podcast fans. Chris D'Amato here. First and foremost, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2022. I hope it's a good one. I hope you find your happiness and success, hit your goals, and continue to listen to our podcast and share in this marvelous show and the love we all have for it together as we venture forth into the new year. This episode is dropping on Sunday, January 9th, and before we get to the regularly scheduled podcast here, I wanted to just take a moment to address a recent current event. As many of you may already know, sadly this past week we lost a member of the Sopranos community. Peter Bogdanovich passed away. Sopranos fans will know him as our dear Dr. Elliot Kupferberg, of course Melfi's therapist. He joins the show in season two, but... The man had a prolific career that spanned multiple decades, directed some amazing films that have stood the test of time, films like The Last Picture Show, Paper Moon, not to mention the countless other things he's done in Hollywood. The guy is a critic, screenwriter, producer, historian, classically trained actor, and he has one of the most recognizable faces in all of show business. And Pretty much anyone I have ever spoken to that has either brushed up with him or worked with him or adjacent to him has had nothing but good things to say about him as an artist and as a person. So I just wanted to take a moment to speak on behalf of myself, Paul, Jordan, and Lily to offer sorrow and condolences for his loss, but also to celebrate his life and the great gift he gave us with this character on this show, Dr. Elliot Kupferberg. I know I can speak for many of you out there in the Soprano fan community when I say that this week I'm going to be taking a long, smug sip out of an oversized water bottle to honor his memory. So once again, thank you, Peter Bogdanovich. Condolences to your family. And thank you for all of your work and for touching the lives of countless millions. Creating something being a part of something that has touched the lives of millions, it really doesn't get better than that in the whole of the human experience. So, thank you, Peter Bogdanovich. This episode is dedicated to you. Sopranos Podcast fans, we are cooking along in Season 3, itching down the back half. This is Season 3, Episode 9, At Last, The Consequences. How can you trust a guy that can literally go fuck themselves? That's a quote from Paulie Walnuts in Season 3, Episode 9 of The Sopranos, entitled The Telltale Muzzarell, written by Michael Imperioli and directed by Daniel Attias. Couple interesting things going on here, guys. This is what I like to call kind of a development in the back half of Season 3, Episode. It, It... plants a lot of seeds and guides things in the direction that's going to take us into the final couple episodes here. It's Carmela's birthday. We got grand gifts. We have Jackie April becoming uh, more prominent in this story. And we have Gloria Trillo entering our lives in a big way as she and Tony find some sparks. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mantini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And let's hear your opening thoughts on this one, guys. This is an episode that I've slept on over the years. I don't think I ever considered it like a bad episode or one that wasn't interesting, but it definitely moves a little slower. It's got a methodical pace. Some of it is about the everyday, even in gangster life. 
but I have to say over the years it's become bigger for me and a, kind of a favorite. I'm uh, very proud of Michael Imperioli and the job that he did writing the script for this episode. The big episode that he was known for in season two, and I think the conceit that was his own, was Christopher uh, nearly dying in From Where to Eternity. That's an episode ripe with big stakes and life and death moments and even questions about the afterlife. This episode, in my view, is actually a much harder one to make interesting in terms of the writing, and I think he really does a terrific job with it. I think part of it, and I don't know actually if this is deliberate, there's a bit of a, even though this episode has very funny moments, there's a bit of a sense of menace that I feel around characters feeling like they're being judged, like they're being watched. This is not a new concept. We've talked about this from the beginning of the show. Someone, something is watching, but a person feeling watched almost is then the evidence of their guilt because then they can't help but say, why are you looking at me like that? Or what am I being accused of? This is, of course, the kind of menace that characterizes the Telltale Heart, the Edgar Allan Poe short story that we lifted the title from. And I thought it made for great drama and some very interesting moments. So I, I really dug this episode. I had a great time watching it. Good pull on the pull on the Poe connection, by the way, because as you know, Jackie's writing an Edgar Allan Poe paper in the episode. So Chris, I never should have taken literature of obsession. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Nor flunked out of Rutgers, but we'll talk about that in another episode. Yeah. Uh, Jordan. There's a conscious shift in this episode from um, from progression uh, to development, right? This is a, an episode that, as you said, plants a lot of seeds for things that are going to come. Uh, and as a result, it's an episode that can feel a little laid back or a little bit more relaxed. But uh, I think there's so much interest that is there. I really appreciate the characters that are forward in this episode. Um, I, I really like that we get to check in with AJ in a way that's really meaningful. Yes. Um, Jackie Jr. has become, like, the interesting character that isn't Ralphie, and now it seems like the show is, like, putting more of a focus on him for a bit. And, and of course, the, the Gloria Trillo situation. These are a lot of things that um, have been running this time all along, and it's, it's just interesting to see them in development. And it's interesting that the show kind of puts Ralph Cifaretto and matters relating to Ralph Cifaretto on the back burner for the time being. But they are looming. Right, so it's um, it's just it's really well constructed. It's as you said, it's nice development on the back end of the season, and as we know, though we will not say because we're a spoiler-free podcast, all this stuff pays off. So it's it's just it's a really interesting episode to watch with really interesting characters in the foreground. Yeah, when people watch TV, they remember the boil, but turning the heat up is just as important, and that's what we get here. Yeah, because uh, you don't get the boil without the heat. And the heat sometimes takes a few minutes. So this is a this is one of those episodes that you think about season three as a whole. It might slip under the radar, but there's a lot of good shit here and a lot of important shit here. Sure. It also just has a very good title. Yes. Telltale Mozzarella is really cute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the situation that inspires that title, whether it's the reference to Jackie Jr.'s Poe paper, whether it is the the, the pizza that incriminates AJ, that it's <laughs> it's cute. I I, I liked it. I, yeah. I thought that was nice. Their best titles are ones that work on multiple levels, and right. this one does. Well, Toodle Fucking New really stands out. I mean, you Toodle know, but the, the show yeah, has yeah. great titles, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it really does. Absolutely. A lot of TV shows get too cute by half, or they're not as clever, but this one is great. We still are vexed in some way by I Dream of Jeannie Kuzamana. I still haven't figured it out. <laughs> I still don't know. That's so funny. I but still don't know. Happy birthday, baby. It's Carmela's birthday. That's how we open up the show today, and... I gotta tell you, Lily and I actually paused watching this episode almost immediately. We had to figure out this ring at 
at, at, at the very least is 50 grand. This is a, a crazy expensive gift. Sure. Uh, beautiful, either blue diamond or sapphire. I'm not sure if they... I, I think it has to be a sapphire because otherwise we're not talking 50 grand. We'd be talking about the millions yeah. at that point. <laughs> AJ comes in. I didn't have time to wrap it or whatever his excuse was. Yeah. Brings to the Matrix. The I love Matrix. The, I love the line right up her alley. Tony says, yeah. <laughs> I can't even picture, especially we know a little bit about Carmilla's taste in movies from her adventures with Father Phil in season one. I can't even imagine Carmilla watching The Matrix, let alone liking it. <laughs> and then uh, Meadow comes in, Day of Beauty. So we open this episode, you know, last time we really spent significant time with Carmilla, she was not in a good place. Yes. We know that in this arrangement, her and Tony have these gifts, this lavish lifestyle can sometimes be the key to her heart, for at least to smooth over some, some of the rougher water. So in a way, it's sure. nice to see this. Yeah, we, we can and probably should acknowledge that each of these gifts really kind of serve the giver. That's more, also true. More than the person that is receiving them, right? A sapphire ring worth $50,000 is so ostentatious that it has to be because Tony is, of course, sleeping with Gloria. He's having he an needs, affair. He needs to make good on the surface here to Carmela to feel good about himself, to feel like the scales are somehow balanced in some way. AJ has gotten her The Matrix, a movie that clearly he wants to watch. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He t- well, in fact, at the end of the scene, he picks it up and goes off yeah, with it. Yeah, there you go. And then Meadow <laughs> has bought her A Day of Beauty that, of course, she will accompany. I put it right. on your card, Yeah, she I put it on your credit card. <laughs> right. So Carmela has received effectively nothing. Yeah. Right. That's, uh, that's what she gets for returns. It's much like Adriana getting a club, which yeah, is yeah. not in her control. It's going to be... What happened in that story, functionally, is that the Soprano crime family busted a guy out and took his club. Yeah. Um, she's going to run it. She's going to remain blindfolded, either willfully or whatever it is. But yeah, th- th- it's a great point. This episode is about, I think, gifts in part, and they're, um, the strings that are absolutely attached. And... Um, but the audience also, I think, gets that to a point. We know what the terms are of gifts in this world, at least a certain shorthand. So it's good that the first scene can be quick, because we all kind of get it. These gifts all have a self-serving measure. AJ, just as always, does it in the least artful way of anybody. <laughs> yeah. um, because but, he is the least artful. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, the waste management guy's son. Yeah, it's uh, uh, wasteful to the environment. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even make that connection. That's very funny. That's why he thought of that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Next beat, we get the the start of this club storyline, the Lollipop Club in Long Branch, New Jersey, a little bit south of where I'm at. This guy is confronted with Furio Junta and this character, Benny, and they are taking his club. He's in tears. You bet whither you had no over it. Another bust out. This is day at football bet. This is Davy Scatino Part 2. We just haven't been privy to this character. And, you know, he's obviously not a personal friend of Tony's. But we saw how this works in Season 2. The mob, You know, you get into debt. The mob takes your fucking business. So this is next. Except they're not going to run through it and bust the joint out. They're going to give it to Adriana, as we'll see. So it's such an effective thing to simply do this short beat first. Mm-hmm. Because they, well, could have done the one where uh, Chris has orchestrated this surprise where he gives Adriana this gift, but you set it up this way, and we know, once again, there are terms. This is going to be something wherein Adriana, I guess, she runs a front operation. Mm -hmm. Whether willfully blind or blind in the altogether, she's just running the front. Is this the first appearance of Benny Fazio? I think so. 
There we go, Benny Fazio. Great line that he has. Yeah. It's like permanently 1987 in here. Yeah, yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be around for a while, folks. Keep your eye on Max Casella. Does a great job as Benny Fazio. There with uh, Furio at the moment. Furio, of course. I think Benny was possibly at Livia's funeral. Was he? I believe he was. Either way, season three is his first, but you know what? Yeah. I think you're right. But either yeah. way, Benny Fazio, this might have been his first line in the show, yeah. so there we go. Great. Keep your eyes on this kid. Cut back to the birthday. Jackie shows up, and have you heard the good news? We met at Thanksgiving. <laughs> I love that exchange. Jackie comes in, and Jackie is, uh, at least as we know better because we've seen Jackie in his element, but... He shows up, he's very respectful, he's bringing gifts, he's being these supposedly... But again, adding to this theme that we've already established, he shows up ostensibly for Carmela's birthday, but he's get there to take Meadow out. Of course. Right. Right. He again, Meadow, an offering for Carmela that is not. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, oh, nice that he showed up, but that's not why he's here. They sing the most uh, out-of-tune rendition of Happy Birthday I've ever heard, which is great. Because, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of actors are musically inclined people, and that may, that may be a detail that would go unnoticed on a different show. I had the same thought, and I actually, I know for a fact that half those people can sing. At mm-hmm. least half, right? Uh, Jamie Lynn Sigler has a terrific voice. Tom Aldridge is a noted musical theater actor. Yep. Uh, they can sing, so it's, it's a realistic rendition of the song, for yes. sure. Yes, I've been in dining rooms where it sounds like that, and they, I just love that... They didn't let that go. They thought of that. Well, so actually, it is kind of pretentious if you oversing Happy Birthday, is it not? No one wants to hear, like, a beautiful rendition of that song. George Carlin once had a bit of, like, uh, people... It was like, quite, here's a list of people who need to be killed. <laughs> and uh, I think on that list was actually people who harmonized the last few notes of Happy Birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree, George. I agree. Except for my dad, who does that. And I right, love yes. very much. Much love to uh, <laughs> Chris's dad. <laughs> Sorry, Chris's dad. <laughs> what can you do? It, it annoys George Carlin. It annoys me. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so I love this. Also, I love this little moment. We get a little bit of life at the, at the party here. Meadow and Jackie are hanging out together. Jackie's being cool with AJ. I think they're talking football here. A beeper goes off, and Hugh is like, well, he says something to the effect of, "You people are all you people crazy. are all out of your minds." <laughs> Just about all the. The technology and the beepers. I love this moment where Tony calls out Aaron about the alcohol. Didn't Jesus drink wine? And then Janice says, well, he was Jesus' tone. And then he points to the cocaine on her nose. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Evidence, of course, that this will manifest itself later in this episode. Or I think in the next one. We'll see. One of these upcoming episodes that this is all. This Christianity kick with Janice is yet just another one of her enterprises. Of course. (laughs) We go back to the Lollipop Club, Long Branch. I have to say, on one hand, this is a sweet gesture for Chris, because he didn't have to do this. He, he could just find some schmuck to run the club, and this is a nice thought. He knows that Aid would be into this. But I have to pity Adriana, because we know what kind of eye she has for talent and for people. Yes. And it's horrible. Right. <laughs> so I don't know if this is going to be the best Jersey Club since the Stone Pony. Well, but it has a... <laughs> It has a name that is kind of a riff on the Stone Pony, right? Yeah. She ends up naming this place, uh, what is this called? Crazy Horse. Crazy, Crazy Horse. Horse. 
And then the first band she books is like Visiting Day Part 2. It's like <laughs> a, not a great band. Either, Miami so. Relatives. Miami Relatives. Good Lord. <laughs> right? They're fine. I don't know. That didn't Actually, <laughs> in that scene, you could actually see them checking in with Hesh. Like, what do you think of the band? Uh, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, there's this whole vibe that she's going to change this place, like, utterly. And then her new sign has the same font. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's very much like what's. I, I agree with you that there's something weird about this vibe with Adriana's. Now she's going to book the talent because we saw how well that worked out in season one. But it could very well be that Chris is now operating as a much smarter and more centered gangster, and this is in fact what Adriana probably should do. She he told her she was giving notice. Wife of a maid guy doesn't hostess. They're supposed to get married. Maybe she was bored, and she can run this. Front operation doesn't really matter how well the club does. Yeah, I doubt it's as good as the Stone Pony. Right. <laughs> yeah. Fundamentally, the club seems like a loser. Right. It's just something that Chris needs to function to, you know, keep his life in check. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stone Pony, of course, is a famous classic Jersey club. I think it's down near Asbury Park. I remember passing it on my yes, last it is. last trip down there. Very cool. Looked cool from the outside. I've never actually been inside the the, the joint, but I'm familiar with its its history and its mythos. And uh, then we're back to the soprano bedroom. I like this, you know, we're kind of all progressing through this night, cutting back and forth, Tony's in bed eating cake. This is a sweet little moment. They, you know, he feeds her a bite. I, I like stuff like this, just them living, being alive in their house. I find it fascinating. It's always acted well, written well, portrayed well. And uh, they're talking, Rosalie called, well, first she mentions the car. Uh, you didn't buy that little car. Tony says, I'd look like a douchebag in one of those things. Of course, talking about the Mercedes. Now, we know he went down to Glow Motors, but not to get a Mercedes, to get Gloria. And uh, she says, Jeannie Cusimano calls those midlife crisis mobiles, and Tony has to bite back immediately. The fuck does she know? <laughs> uh, the answer to what the fuck does she know is about as much as your defensive flex suggests. <laughs> yes. That's why people are getting defensive in this episode, because... They feel like they're being watched. They feel like they're being watched because they're already guilty of something. Yes, yeah, exactly. For sure. If Tony were reposting a meme on Facebook in 2021, he would feel totally seen. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, this, 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 this. <laughs> uh, he, he probably posted again louder for the people in the back. Um, With a uh, clap, clap emojis between each word. <laughs> Good Lord. Well, what have we become? But the the main conversation had in this scene, though, is about Rosalie calling. Meadow and Jackie are at the movies. Carmela expresses that she's not particularly hot on this thing with Jackie and Meadow. And I want to mention this because we're going to come back around to this a couple times in this episode and in subsequent episodes. Sony is very happy about it, at least at this point. Well, you know, he's a good kid. He comes from good stock. Tony was good friends with his father, Jackie, who we only saw briefly in the first couple episodes of season one. So Tony's optimistic. At least he's Italian. It's not that black kid or uh, what did he call it? God, this is terrible. Uh, Jamal Ginsburg, the Hasidic homeboy. Yeah. God damn, Tony. (laughs) So, yeah. And then after we're finding out what a good kid he is and how he comes from good stock, you know, for all Noah's faults, he at least wrote his own C-minus papers. That's right. Uh, we cut to this scene in the car where Meadow has written his Edgar Allan Poe paper, and he's thanking her. And their physicality here is a little bit different than we last saw them. They're an item. They're boning. She's got a condom. They're kissing. They're affectionate. 
He's she's writing doing his homework. I mean, if that doesn't suggest she's in love, yeah. Again, what kind of gift is that? What are you really doing for someone? Yeah, th- this whole it all makes me feel weird. Um, literature of obsession is again so. I just some of the titles of these courses. <laughs> That these kids are fucking taking. Do you think so, these are real courses that David heard about or knew about, or are they are the writers having fun with the? They're kind of. I mean, culture? I think they're having fun. First year students would never take electives titled this, so it does. But let them have it; it doesn't matter. I love also again. I don't know how deliberate this is, but Jackie Junior says at one point in this scene, "I just can't get through the books." Well, Edgar Allan Poe didn't really write books. He wrote like short stories and poems. How hard are these to get through? Like this kid's really lazy and kind of pretty fucking stupid like he makes chris look like don Corleone. (laughs) (laughs) he really does he's definitely as far as the show is concerned chris is at a different place than he was in season one chris is more in the middle management kind of area now where he's he's obligated but he's also responsible enough to run some things on his own chris has aged so quickly yeah jackie on the other hand has filled the hole in our hearts where the fuck up (laughs) young fuck up mobster should be right and uh he plays that part quite well then following this same night through we get to the high school we get this scene in aj's pool at the high school first of all just want to mention this to those of you who are interested in the trivia Lady Gaga's in this scene. This is uh, one of her early appearances in film and TV, I believe. And she's uh, one of the girls eating pizza while AJ and his idiot friends are wrecking shit up. So if you look in the the blonde in the background eating pizza, that's Lady Gaga. Wow. I didn't, even, I didn't catch that. I didn't look that up prior to the show or anything. I'll have to go back. Not the first uh, major star of the of a current times appearing in this show. I don't know if we mentioned it when we recorded our episode, but it blows people's minds that Michael B. Jordan is one of the little kids right. harassing young Tony when he gets off the bus in the episode Down Neck in season one. Yeah. So there's some there's some big stars in, in background appearances here. Not the last one we're going to get to. I think there's a, a surprise Lin-Manuel Miranda appearance in one of the later seasons. Can't wait for that. That's a funny moment. But anyway, no spoilers. They're basically being morons. They're out after midnight. They're... Um, in the broke into the school and then just start ripping shit up breaking the trophy cases they're not only dumb for doing this but i wrote you're assholes you're all running around in bare feet and there's broken glass now all over the floor i'm truly an adult i'm a i'm a man in my 30s now that that's what i see when i see a bunch of high schoolers being irresponsible i thought the same thing (laughs) absolutely yeah yep so they're idiots uh then we get to the soprano house either the next day or maybe a day or yeah no it's got to be the next day Jackie's kind of coaching AJ outside. He's smiling. He's this is a you know Jackie is showing at least to Tony his nicer side. He's into Meadow as well. Yeah, he's coaching AJ out back. Meadow's talking about wanting a car. They have a little debate about cars. They have to fucking keep slipping in how awful Davy Scatino's life is. He's in a yes. mental health facility out in right. Nevada. And then and Eric is. Uh, did they give us an update on Eric or just a Davey? couple episodes ago? I think uh, it was. Uh, they mentioned that Eric. He's doing no. A lot the of first drugs, episode of season right. three. He's at Montclair State, and he's on drugs, and he's and he hates it. Yeah, so that family's totally ruined, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Generations of that family are fucked right. up from, from what happened with it. They're, and they, they're not letting you forget it either. That's what's so funny. They no, have I to love throw that. that in. Uh, I wrote, Jackie's being a good boy here. Jackie is being the best. This is the best, other than having Meadow write the paper for him, which is irresponsible and not necessarily speaks well to his you know, character at the moment, but it's 
not as bad as it could be based on what we've seen of this guy. So he's, he looks like he's at least making some kind of half-assed attempt to put his best foot forward here. Yeah, he's also, uh, the, his dialogue about football, about how to play, is good. Yeah. He sounds competent, he sounds confident, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. This was maybe where he should have been steered, not that he's like trying to go into the medical field or mm-hmm. try to be like this big college guy. Yeah. He has knowledge that is valuable. Uh, I, you know, I even thought, I was like, he could coach kids ball. Mm-hmm. You know, he could have a life like that. Where's the role model to try to like, I don't know, assess his actual skills? You know I think I mean? this happens, unfortunately, a lot with kids, where expectations are placed on them. Yeah. And, you know, I'm of, I'm of the belief, I'm not one of these, like, oh, everybody's special kind of people, but I, I do believe that everybody has something they're good at, or something they at least give a shit about. And if you give a shit about it, you're going to get good at it. And I think too often kids are steered away because of something that parents see for them or want for them. We're going to have, I think, a little bit more insight on this shortly in the series in, in an episode or two. But as far as, like, why Jackie is going to medical school, I don't know. I, that feels like something that was maybe expected of him or asked of him. And it's just not, not a good fit. And it's a shame that nobody in his life, even Tony, who has taken a mentorship role, is able to steer him in a direction that isn't gangsterism, but also not fucking med school. Yeah. It's not for everybody. There's a very small amount of people on Earth that would get through med school. It's not easy. Yeah, the uh, this scene is interesting. I had thought of that a bit, too, and how also I think AJ is having trouble in this episode living his life and communicating directly with people, but he seems to have a good shorthand with Jackie. Jackie's a bit of a younger man. He does give him this good advice. But, yeah, it's just, there's, there's difficulty in what has been expected of Jackie, and I think in terms of some of the role models that he's having now, even Tony, because of the image he cuts, is a very complicated and difficult role model to have. The other thing that's interesting about Jackie's advice is that he says once the quarterback exposes these habits, he's fucked, which is what happens in this episode. People fuck themselves. They keep exposing what they're <laughs> doing, and it gets them in trouble. Um, Jackie is another telltale mutarel, mm. essentially. He keeps fucking up. And it's right there in front yeah. of you. Jackie also has this mention in the uh, speech to AJ about you know the, the quarterback. If you look into his eyes, you can tell what his intentions are, what he's going to do. There's a huge bit of business in the Telltale Heart about the gentleman's eye, uh, the person who was killed. Uh, you know, the, the 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 bullseye lantern shines on that one eye. Mm. Is the eye that offends the killer, uh, the narrator of that piece. Uh, so they keep doing the crossover connection to the Poe story, which is nice. That is nice. I. Should have, if I were a responsible podcast host, I would have read that poem again uh, before doing this, but I didn't. Oh, but you are not responsible, so. <laughs> well, ha, 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 that ha, is ha, the ha. conclusion. <laughs> Stary, I, I am the telltale Mutzadel. He is. This pie for the pan of A wall of pride. <laughs> what kind of animals? I've always loved the way that actor delivers that line. He's so overacted. He's so, it's so serious good. about it's it. So good. And, Paul, I'm going to turn you loose because I happen to know this is, next scene is one of your favorites in the whole series. Uh, let's talk about this pizza parlor interrogation. A <laughs> little bit of trivia, by the way, and I, I, I don't know if you know this or not, Paul. Maybe you do because you're a fanatic about this scene, as I am. These are real cops, by the way. They didn't go to, like, a casting director. For them. <laughs> this was like they got real cops in the area to do this because they wanted as much authenticity there as possible. But this pizza scene is about, I want to say this is at the line of ludicrousness that the Sopranos can approach. Sure. 
any further one way or the other, and it would have flopped. Right. This is right where it needed to be. The fucking older guy. You don't find any bacteria in here. My, my pizza never hurt nobody. The cops are so serious, too. They're, they're, death, they're determined to find out who did this. They probably caught a real earful from the super serious principal, and they want to get this over with and go on with their day. Uh, <laughs> but they're treating it like they're tracking down the fucking Zodiac killer. <laughs> this pizza fit a pattern, sir. So funny. Paul, what do you make of this ridiculous fun scene? I feel the same way. I think it's right at that line. Though I, I, I consider that... I guess you could consider it like a bit too big or stereotypical, but walk into a pizza shop in Jersey and see how far away from this it actually is. Might be closer than you think. Yeah. Uh, a lot of older <laughs> Italian guys that, that certainly we remember from our families would uh, threaten to put their foot up your ass yep. if you messed with them. And uh, yeah, it's, it's very fun. I love that it's like self-consciously this overwritten dialogue. Sir, what's that? Word to the wise. What's that, sir? Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rat-a-tat, which is good. Again, it's shorthand. You don't need... And there's really good storytelling because once the the cops make the implicit threat and the camera zooms in, you just cut to the next scene with AJ because the name that they didn't want to say was Soprano because he's a fucking idiot and he mm-hmm. ordered the pizza in his own name. So, you know, I love it. I love this storytelling here. It's very fun. Um, the guy is hilarious. The father is really funny. Yep. <laughs> Did we catch what the order is? The custom job? What is the order on this pizza? Double meatball, I remember. Yeah, double meatball, extra cheese. Oh my god. It extra sounds, mozzarella. Extra so mozzarella. It just yep. sounds it's, delicious. It is the telltale mozzarella. Yeah. And there's no bacteria. Yeah, I think there might be one other meat on there, like sausage or something, or pepperoni. I, I don't know. But yeah, no, it's a meaty, meaty pizza, extra cheese. It's a custom job. This must be AJ's order. Yeah, what a dumbass. He's caught. He's being grilled in this next scene by Carmela. It just happened. I, I found this dialogue very real. I found this the feeling of this scene. You did something stupid. I've been there. You've been did something stupid and you're getting grilled by the parents and you have no explanation for it other than you were just being an asshole and an idiot and you got to take your licks and then Tony comes in. What are you doing here? To answer your father... I love that Tony couldn't imagine... How do you vandalize a swimming pool? <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, What'd you do that for? Yeah. <laughs> on your mother's birthday, he says twice. Slaps him upside the head. <laughs> on your mother's birthday? As if it's like right. if it were, any, if it were another day. Anything, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a funny little quirk there. As if it's extra disrespectful because it's on the mother's birthday. Tony's angry. You're screwing it all up. Your football career down the drain. Not entirely wrong. Uh, this could, at least you know, as far as the audience knows, as far as AJ knows, this could be uh, pretty serious That what, what he's done here. So we're going to follow up on that soon. Get this scene in the restaurant. Carmela and Rosalie having uh, burrata and green beans brought to them, which I would love to have Artie Bucco's burrata. It's very delicious. Yep, specifically not mozzarella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Rosalie doesn't see the charm. Very funny. She wants to get the hot antipasto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tastes like mozzarella and string beans. <laughs> <laughs> you eat it, Carm. I want the hot antipasto. Uh, they have this hilarious conversation. Hilarious because the sentence, Ralphie is a real fine row, you hold on to him, is uttered. Um, yeah, dear Lord. <laughs> uh, uh, again, I think I wrote down blindness or willful blindness. Yeah. Either she just has not seen these parts of Ralphie, or you got to keep the peace. Yeah. I can't think of any other reason for someone as smart as Carmela to say that. Well, I can. Uh, so can I. You go ahead. Well, my theory on that is... 
Rosalie spends the first few minutes of the scene after Artie upscons complimenting Meadow, and Carm can't bring it in her to That's even it. say something nice about Jackie. Yep. So she has to make, like bring up something for Ro to feel good about because she is not into the Jackie thing. She's not. She's she has very a, hesitant about joining the toast. You're right. Yeah. She's like yep. Meadows is such a bright girl. Like she's saying all this stuff, and Met- Carmela just kind of gives a graceful thank you and onto the next subject. Yeah. So. I think that's the only way we can get Carmela to speak about Ralphie in a flattering light is if she's trying to deflect from the fact that she does not really care for Jackie Jr. and Meadow being together. I agree. Yeah. So that's I'm good writing. I'm glad Ralphie's going to turn out to be great. Yeah. yeah. Great guy. Yeah. Great guy. Real fine, Paul. Real fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, uh, we see Artie. Well, um, Carmela reflects on her own life in this scene, too, doesn't she? Because mm-hmm. she says at the end, you can push a man only so far. And then she sort of thinks to herself, huh. Mm. What does that mean? Does she? Yeah, does she think that she's pushed Tony away? She knows something's going on. She asked Tony in the bedroom scene, is there something you want to tell me? Right, she knows. Mm-hmm. She knows. I mean, she doesn't know what she knows, but she knows. Right, she can smell it. Yes. She uh, doesn't know what it is specifically? Is yeah, that... that might be it. And that's what the ring... And again, speaking to the selfish nature, that's what the ring is about, and that's the unfortunate reality of this arrangement they have. Tony bought himself 50 grand worth of peace... For the time being. Right. You know, What's his peace of mind worth to him? In this case, about 50 grand on that, right? And what is looking the other way worth to Carmela? That's what he constantly has to figure out. What's yeah. going to get her distracted enough that I can continue with what I'm doing and keep the peace at home? It's sad. But yeah, and, and they, they have this conversation about Artie's marriage disintegrating. Artie and Charmaine, of course, they're split at the moment. I always love when Carmela and Roe get together. There's always something interesting being... <laughs> Talked about these two ladies are such amazing actors. Tony goes to Globe Motors. Who's the douchebag? That douchebag buys a new Mercedes off me every year. She's working it, uh, but uh, he wants to see her. He wants to whisk her away. I wrote, Tony is smitten, man. He is really taken. I don't know that we've seen Tony quite like this. Irina was, for lack of better terms, a sex object for him. And I think he's definitely attracted to Gloria sexually, but there's, there's more here. The right. show has never had this kind of sensuality. Right. Because Tony is this powerful figure and he's never been this helpless. They're flirty. He's quiet. He's like, come on, I want to see you. It's almost like a more sophisticated and eloquent version of when Jackie was trying to get Meadow to sleep with him an episode or two ago. I was like, come on, come to Dubs with me. They play. They flirt. She says, the zoo. Tony's like, all right, we'll go to the zoo. He brought her like a Louis Vuitton purse. Yeah. From Saks. Yeah. And she barely batted an eye. She no-sold it, yep. I mean, talk about gift-giving and the strings that are attached. And then she said the zoo, and Tony Soprano said okay. Yep. <laughs> She's got power over him, man. And she knows it. That little smirk when she walks away back Oof. into the building to yeah. sell her car. She She's sophisticated. She's powerful. She has her own money. It's a different situation than Carmela. Is that difference what's attracting him to her or something else? Maybe yeah. we'll, I think more will be elicited as we go. But Sometimes in these glorious scenes, Tony almost seems like a little out of his element. Not that he... Uh, listen, of course, he's he's very attracted to her. I agree. He sees something more here. Uh, but also, I think he, he doesn't know quite how to handle her yet, right? I think he's trying to figure that out. He hasn't figured it out yet. I think... Uh, with a different girl, Tony would have been like, the zoo, what are you fucking kidding? No, we're going, we're going here. <laughs> yeah. You know, but he lets her take the reins a bit. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting dynamic. We're back in Satriel's. We get this hilarious thing, that the scene that we got our pull quote from. They're, Tony and Polly are watching something about snakes on TV. Uh, and Polly, of course, 
Paulie's one of these guys who's like, he's the expert on whatever it is he's watching. You watch a show with him, he knows all about it. Like, you know, so he has, even if he's completely pulling it out of his ass. But very funny. The, they don't you, it's why somebody you don't trust, you call a snake. How can you trust somebody who could literally go fuck themselves? Mm. And Tony suggests, well, you think that would come from the Adam and Eve story? And Paulie says this ridiculous line, snakes were fucking themselves long before Adam and Eve came along. They... <laughs> <laughs> like oh of course and then um, the meat of the scene occurs with Tony and Jackie the message here all the dialogue aside and maybe Jackie actually gave more than a cursory glance at the paper Meadow wrote for him but he's talking to Tony he's assuring Tony Tony explains to him in very serious way and I thought he did a very nice job in this conversation like look I know I've been yakking at you all this time about keep staying on the straight and narrow. Do, I want the best from you. But this time it's different. Now you're with my daughter. And he means it. What do we make of this? And do we think Jackie gets the message? I think we can perhaps infer that uh, Jackie hears the message, <laughs> uh, but, but will likely not follow through. Nothing we know about Jackie as a character indicates to us that he will uh, make good on what Tony swears him to. Jackie clearly wants to be part of this gangster life. And I, I think we're starting to believe now that his wooing of Meadow might be more about that mm. than it is about really wanting to be with her, and that's really sad. Interesting. I think that's a very astute observation. I think this scene is funny and interesting and depressing in a way because it seems like it's more of Jackie kind of shining Tony on, mm. essentially, even though Tony is saying ex- sort of explicitly, like, this is different, and I'm watching. I'm going to be very protective over my daughter. Jackie, among the things he lies about, is that he got the A when it was Meadow who wrote his paper. And I think that Jackie will uh, continue to operate in much the same fashion. Interestingly, Jackie is dressed the same as Tony here. They both have this these black leather bomber jackets on. Mm. And again, I'm wondering, what is Tony's positioning here? He's telling Jackie... Don't be like me, but the format is that he's clearly the mentor. Why wouldn't Jackie try to formulate himself? That's a great this? point. His own hypocrisy. Jackie, it's not compelling, I guess, when Jackie says it later. But Jackie, when he confronts Jackie being at the casino, Jackie says, "You're here." Yeah. It's not obviously Tony doesn't accept it, but it's a perfectly legitimate question. Sure. Yeah. If if the, if you're the one laying all this out, so again, I think it's kind of these characters are themselves from the beginning. Yeah. And that's, of course, why we use the pull quote is because there's this constant uh, repetition of that idea, Paul. Sure. Yeah, I think at some level, even Tony is a telltale mutadel. He certainly is when he tries to uh, lie to his therapist as if she's stupid. <laughs> we get a uh, couple little notes uh, here. First of all, Jackie says he's taking Meadow to a restaurant, Shea Josephine. It's a bar restaurant in New York City. And I want to say, he at least has good taste there. That place is awesome. It's this old French place. It's kind of an Art Deco style. Looks, I think it was built in the 30s. It's a beautiful spot. If you're in New York City and you want to try out like a local joint, small. So it depends on how you feel about being in close quarters in a post-COVID world. But I got to tell you, the food is dynamite. The environment's dynamite. Check out Shea Josephine. So a little free plug there for them because I've been there and I love it. And, uh, yeah, Tony tells him, you know, keep your father in mind. 
and we cut into the next scene. We talked a little bit about this, but Adrian introduces the Miami relatives. We're launching the the we're launching <laughs> the crazy horse and uh, this fucking shot of the crowd. Yep. Did you see it? Artie Buco. Buco fucking living out his yeah. midlife, hanging out with the twenty somethings <laughs> out there in the crowd. He's got his earring in. Yep. <laughs> he's, just, he's just like bombed out of his mind. Like yeah, he's he's vibing the music. He's dancing. It's so fucking funny. It's sort of fool. I love that this episode is not really about Artie at all. But like they remembered to put. <laughs> Artie in a weird midlife divorce crisis yeah. all over this episode. Oh, it's, it's so, so fucking funny, funny and, and sad. sad. Yeah, which is Artie Buko in a nutshell. Paulie and Hesh are there. I love that they did just another great touch. I love that they can't hear a word they're saying right. to each other. So Paul, neither can we. Yeah. Very, yeah, exactly. Very realistic for that kind of place. Uh, you have to be in somebody's ear to be heard. Hesh, eh, you know, Hesh doesn't like it, but he's being polite. <laughs> Paulie hands her a nice envelope. Very, very cool. So the crazy horse, we are here. This guy, Matouche, in the bathroom is selling ecstasy. Furio comes in, and we know what that means when Furio comes into a room. The hammer. Yes. I, I love that we... They've done this so smartly with Furio, by the way. And we've seen it several times this season and last season. The first scene he comes in in season two, or the first episode he comes in, he we saw what he did at that massage parlor. Sure. And that's all you ever need to see. Has Furio been seen on camera doing anything violent since then? You know just by showing him in the environment what it means when he's there. Because sure. they've done such a great job establishing that. It's like it's like stabbing a guy your first day in prison. Right. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. It really is like that. So it's like, okay, you're setting a bar here. So that when the audience sees Furio show up somewhere, they know what it means. They know what this guy is capable of. It's so smart. I actually hadn't thought of it, but now you guys mention it, now it, it kind of makes more sense to me that in the first couple of beats they showed him muscling in on Rocco. When Adriana yeah. got to the club, they were sort of all smiles. But before mm-hmm. she got there, Furio is crowding in on him, invading his space. The end of one scene is him saying, you got a problem with us? And the scene ends. And I was like, well, I guess the answer is fucking no. Because if that guy was in my face, I'd be like, no, 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 whatever you say. Yeah, exactly. So funny. We're back at the... Now we're at the zoo. It's time for the zoo. They're at the Bronx Zoo, I believe they mentioned. Of course, uh, Turtleback would probably be a little bit too close to home. They're having this uh, lovely little date here. They're talking about uh, gorillas and threat behavior... The Malocchio, they're innocent, but the, uh, yeah, they can innocently maul you into a million pieces. Tony's kissing her, he's kind of touching on her neck, and he stumbles upon this uh, Tibetan ta- ta- talus uh, here. And um, he says, I knew it, I knew there had to be something. They have this fun exchange about religion. My sister was a Buddhist, she's a fucking whack job. Oh, <laughs> so I gotta be a whack job too. Yes. <laughs> I knew there had to be something. There is something, Tony. Why aren't you looking? Why aren't you really looking? He's so blinded. Yeah. He's forgotten where he found her. Not that everyone who goes to therapy is crazy, but he's missing something here. Is the audience ahead of Tony on this? I think so. I think I think we are. And I think I think maybe I'm judging him too harshly for not realizing the glorious trouble. No, you know? no, I think you're right. I wanted to ask because I was wondering about that. And th- these episodes are somewhat new for you so i actually wanted to know like is this the experience because i'm having it too every once in a while 
And right here in this scene, there are a couple of sure red flags. Yeah, well, right? let's, let's be honest. Narratively speaking, it's not interesting if Gloria is a normal girl who is content to have an affair with Tony, who is just this crazy, sexy, cool car salesman, you know, who is super smart and interesting. You know, it, it has to be that there's going to be deep trouble, right? So I think the audience is already looking for signs of that, and Tony is willfully not. Mm. Mm. Yeah, he says this, but almost jokingly, and I think the audience is meant to be saying, I don't know that this is a joke, Tony. I think uh, there's, there's, some, there's some things you need to be looking out for here. Uh, not the Buddhism, not the therapy, but just the whole picture in its totality, the whole vibe. There's something off here. But this this actress, Annabella Sciorra, is so good, by the way. I love her as Gloria. Yeah. And uh, they have a great chemistry, her and James Gandolfini, so this is great. And they, uh, they fuck in the snake house. They do, they do. They joyfully participate in the suffering of the world by boning in, in the... Uh, <laughs> by boning in the uh, reptile house. That's something. Uh, we have to talk about that this whole thing is taking place in the zoo and what is happening there. I mean, for God's sake. <laughs> um, so first, there is, like, sort of the bestial nature of the scene, right? They're giving way to, like, their primal urges, right? Um, they are rubbing against each other, touching each other. She's grabbing him. They, uh, end up, you know, having sex in the reptile house. This is after, uh, the reference earlier to the snakes fucking themselves, uh, same episode. The the gorilla that they are looking in on, uh, you know, I, I don't mean to poke fun, but kind of a little Tony esque, I thought. <laughs> yeah. You know, in his in his form, in his physicality, right? Well, there um, is because Tony can mull you into a million pieces, but there is also sometimes something uh, very innocent about him. Took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. This is a creature that has like these sweet, innocent eyes, and it's got this sweetness about it, but like it'll kill you. Yeah. Right? Uh, and also, I had this thought, which is, I guess, kind of duh, but notable. Right? The zoo is a place where animals are caged. The cages are there for your protection. Right? Mm. Uh, it is not so much to, you know, keep things orderly amongst the animals, though I guess that's the, the secondary purpose. Tony is equally dangerous to Gloria as Gloria is to him. We have the show from Tony's perspective, so we're concerned about his life, his livelihood, his family. We're probably less concerned with this new character, but let's not forget who the dangerous one is here. Mm. Really, it's Tony. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a really good point. I mean, there, there's absolutely an interesting dynamic of, I think, the way the dangers could go. Also, there's another point here where, as Jordan said, you know, we're supposed to be on this one side of the cage, and we're supposed to be looking. Tony, at, at least one point in this scene, it felt like he thought he was being watched. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was an evil eye on him because he's ostensibly not supposed to be here with this with his girlfriend, not yeah. his wife. And she makes reference to El Malocchio as well. Yeah. The evil right. eye. Right. Yeah. And I mean there's so many there's so many interesting things. I thought of one thing when they go and have sex in the snake house, I think Gloria maybe having positioned them for sex, then teases Tony and says, See if you cannot and holds him back. I was like, Well, that sounds like the snake tempting Eve to bite the apple to me. <laughs> um, certainly coming back to that image of temptation, as well as obsession. Yeah. Um, I know we talked about literature of obsession, and it's funny how funny that element is before, but here the obsession could take a very dark turn. He says the phrase, I'm crazy about you. Obsession, crazy, you know, there's something very crazy lurking under here, and I want to end the talk on this scene with this point. I just want to let this linger out there and ask a rhetorical question of the listeners in case you haven't caught on to what's going on here with Tony and Gloria. 
But uh, she makes a crack. Tony makes a crack about his hard on disappearing after she mentions, you know, that he once brought his kids here. And uh, her response is, poor you. And I yep. want to ask the audience if they've heard that quote anywhere else in the show. Just let that hang out there for a second. No comment. <laughs> <clears throat> Next scene, we get Jackie Jr. doing his best Michael Corleone impression. This is deliberately made to be like some big, you know, Godfather style sit down. Uh, he's even He even has the pose. He's sitting the right way with the fingers up on his face and... Carlos vouching for you. Yeah, so he's going to work on this Matush thing so that uh, he can keep selling ecstasy in the club. Do you know who my father was? Yeah, exactly. That, exactly. The golf pro? <laughs> U.S. Open? <laughs> yes, Jackie April seemed like a nice, fun guy. Uh, Don Vito Corleone, he was not. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. <laughs> and then we go back to school. AJ is in the principal's office with Tony and Carmela. I really like this scene. I, I love, I think Robert Eiler does some really nice work here as AJ reacting because he doesn't have any lines, but he's like, just has to be there and listen to his parents and his principal going back and forth. And you can see when it dawns on him that he's going to get away with this and not get in trouble. And it's like, that's just good acting from, from AJ there. So um, Eiler, I think, uh, after watching the show this long with all of you, Eiler is the most undervalued performance in the series, I think, mm-hmm. for me. Uh, I might still have that opinion at the end. I, you know, we'll obviously talk more. But, um, you know, AJ's in basically every episode, and he's always giving this really understated, really authentic performance. And because it's not flashy, we tend to not spend a lot of time with it, mm. right? Unless it really serves one of our other more flashier or aka more important characters. But um, his work is always impeccable. Yeah. Like, I consider him among the best of the young actors. Yeah. And in this episode in particular, I think closing in on him and, and giving us a, a kind of a sense of what his life is like, I'm incredibly sad for AJ. I really am. Uh, we titled this episode, our version, uh, our title uh, of uh, The Celtian Musadel is titled, At Last the Consequences. The consequences of his actions are that he's not going to be punished right? Mm. That's the problem, right? That is how this whole thing continues to be perpetuated, right? And he does not have, like, this self-disciplining nature like a meadow who's going to go clean grandma's house after fucking it up, right? He's going to relish in the fact that he got away with it, and he's going to continue to think that this is how life works, right? And this is not something that is aberrant. This is supported by his literal school institution, Mm. right? That he's not only exceptional because he's an athlete, uh, or an exceptional, you know, because he's, uh, you know, a, a, a soprano, maybe, maybe people start to think like, well, this is how life works, right? When we raise children, when we educate children, we try to give them some idea of consequence, right? Yeah. School can be really bullshit sometimes, and I agree, homework is trash, and there's a lot about school that doesn't work, right? But the part that to me does work is this idea that, hey, you're in school right now, this is a little microcosm, this is a, a small society, we have to give you a little taste of what consequences of your actions could be. And this namby-pamby sort of little suspension, no real, no detention. They can't, they're incapable of giving detention since the last lawsuit, which I thought was hilarious. It's a Catholic school. Right. You can let your imagination take over why that might have happened. Oh, exactly. And, uh, you know, here's, here's the, the thing. You know, he's not seeing that the world has real consequences. And that's the consequence. And, again, no spoilers, but... What will this do to the grown AJ, mm. right? Where he thinks, well, nothing I really do matters. And that's on both sides, mm. right? 
nothing I do matters, meaning I can get away with it all, and also, nothing I do matters, period. Brutal. Mm. Brutal stuff. Wow. Very well broken down, Jordan. Yeah, very well done. And it, it, I think in that respect, it made me... Actually, even though I've seen this episode before, it made me very sad and, and frustrated... I think with the what, what's going on with the bureaucracy here and what the school isn't doing, uh, it seems like another gift that's not really a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't actually fuck AJ over in this respect. Um, they give him the stay of execution, but it's about them winning the football game. It's another self-serving. Yes. I couldn't yeah. put it better. To, to what you said about Robert Eiler's performance as AJ, I think about it sometimes as an actor when I'm trying to assess these more understated performances... And I had an acting teacher tell me once, and I, I clung to this. This works. This is an idea that worked for me. And I had an acting teacher tell me uh, once as far as like how to break down a character's journey through a script or a show or a movie or a play or whatever it is you're doing. What is this character's wound? Mm. What will heal this character? What's in the way? Those three things you need to think about as you're developing your character. When you have something like this, where you have a character who... The wound is more subtle. What will heal the wound is not clear. And the fact that intellectually these are all outside of AJ's grasp most of the time. That's hard to play. That's very challenging to grab grab onto that on paper. Because as understated as the performance is, it's probably even more so on paper. What are the things AJ actually says or does if you're looking at ink on page? And for Robert Eiler to do what he does with this role... With what he's given is just really spectacular work. And I think it speaks exactly to what you said, Jordan. So I agree. I yeah. think he's, a, he's one of the more under... When you think about great Sopranos performances, I think he's one of the most uh, underrated. He's super undervalued. Under, under, yeah. And I, I so agree with how you put it. I mean, it's just... Yeah, what's in the script for him? I mean, it's... Uh, AJ's quiet. He's a quiet character. Meadow's the loud one, right? She's the mouth. She does all the talking. AJ basically has to always play... The Observer, mm-hmm. right? Which on this show is so hard. Yeah. Um, I just I really enjoy his performance. It was something I was really noticing in this episode. I'm glad we took a moment to mention that, because I agree fully. I love uh, Robert Eiler's work. Um, I'll have more to say on it, but I want to stay away from spoilers. Some of the stuff he does in the series as it goes on is not only great, but I, I feel a very personal connection to it. So. Mm-hmm. Great. We get the scene with Melfi and Gloria... She seems happy as a clam, Dreamed to, had a dream of lighting a torch at the Olympics. Have we ever seen her in her own therapy session? We, we Not in a session. We saw her in the outer office with that mix-up where Tony and her met. Wow. But never yeah. in the office, so she's all cozied up. It's weird to see someone else in that chair. But this whole thing is meant to be off-putting and weird for everybody. And uh, I feel for Melfi here. She, she knows. She's no dummy. She's trying to get Gloria to be honest, and she, she has the temerity to bring up the man she heard in the background, who I have to know, she have to assume that she at least thinks is Tony. And uh, Gloria, rather than admit it, just gets defensive about it. Then denies it and then gets defensive. I have, I'm kind of offended you you put it that way. And we get this. If we if the audience wasn't catching on to red flags before, we get a big one here. You came to me after after your suicide attempt, after your breakup with Barry. Yeah, that's uh. She told Tony, uh, serial killer, I ruined uh, seven relationships. Mm. 
So something's going on here that we are not uh, privy to. What and how similar to Irina, right? This yeah. has to be right in our mind, right? Yeah. Who herself was a suicide attempt. Yep, yep. Depressive personality. So big red flag here uh, for, for us. And Melfi, perhaps against her better judgment or perhaps just to de-escalate the tension in the room, says, fine, I'll believe you. And then we're out. But we're going to come back to Melfi's office shortly. Right. Also very well acted. Fine, I'll believe you. And in saying it, I know you're a fucking liar. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was absolutely the subtext of that. I like this very short moment here of Silvio schooling Chris about bars and running bars <laughs> yeah. and performers and whether it's tits or music, it's you relying on them to bring the customers in. It's a cool little moment. Jackie comes in, sees Chris. His status couldn't be any lower here. He, he takes goes, a seat that's not his yeah, and Chris offers makes a move. Chris a drink that he doesn't want. Yeah, exactly. Chris, Chris you don't just, belong nope, here, dude. Nope, nope, get the fuck out. We have a little colloquy about the difference between a sit-down and a chat. Now it's okay for a chat, not a sit-down. Jackie, of course, may not know the difference. Chris lays it out very simply. No, I don't want X in my club. I also want to say I think uh, Chris has really learned yes. since his time with Matt and Sean to be very wary of these younger hangers-on. Yep. Right. Yes, and he's learned very good to, He's learned to play the hi-hat, right? Just... I'll let you talk to me a bit. As soon as I'm on to what you what you want to talk to me about, get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. Right? He's also been told this kid does not mm-hmm. get involved. Right, but now he's taking those orders. Right, yeah. It's 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 Chris has really matured. He has, and keeping his eye on the big picture here, which is something he even had a problem with. With sometimes with Matt and Sean, they were stealing cars from the stock brokerage. Tony's like, this is a multi million dollar scam. What the fuck? And he just tells them to steal cars somewhere else. This time he's like, no, this is. Ecstasy, they have federal task force now. Ecstasy was really big in the club scene in the early 2000s, and it was getting a lot of high-profile arrests and carried a lot of very stiff penalties then. I'm not sure if it's still that way, but... Uh, so he's like, no, fuck no, I don't want it in my club. And then he says, it would, you know, it would mean a lot to me as a favor. But Jackie, because he's being kept from the life by Tony, has nothing he can offer Chris. And I'm not sure Chris would want it if he could, because as you said, Chris is very wary of these strap hangers. Uh, so he's just like, you got a lot of balls, you know that? And tells him off. And then Tony comes in the door and Jackie has to duck out before he's spotted to the point that he actually goes out an emergency door to get out as fast as possible. And then he lies to Matush just to save face. <laughs> and again, more quotes right out of The Godfather in time. Everything will be revealed to you. Uh, <laughs> you know, and Matush is just like, okay, right, yeah, I'll just sell it outside the club, not in the club. AJ is uh, stepping forward. I like the way they shot this with Tony and Carmella kind of static against the counter and this camera push in on them as we follow AJ coming down the hall. He's uh, about to receive his home sentence. He is uh, grounded for a month. No TV, no computer. He's got to get the typewriter. Tony tells him to clean out the garage. Jackie came over and did that. Again, more Jackie pretending, but we see what's really going on with Jackie. You ought to take a few lessons from From Jackie Jackie April. April. Get your act together. Wow. Yep. Jackie April, the drug dealer, the drug, you know, the wannabe Michael Corleone. And then this sad and hilarious moment where AJ just doesn't know what a gutter is. Just doesn't know what it is. That's crazy. That that I mean, that's how spoiled and rich this kid is. is yeah. He just doesn't know what a rain gutter is. And Tony yeah. actually had, like, there's a moment, you see the moment where Tony Carmel look at each other like, He's not, like, dicking with Right, us. yeah. If for a moment you're like, oh, he's being a fucking wise ass. Yeah. And then you're like, right. oh, legit AJ doesn't know what a gutter is. 
I think Tony sort of shakes his head and grabs his shoulder and says, come here, he's going to show him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Take yeah. him outside and show him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, is this a punishment? Yeah, is this something a kid his age is going to be annoyed with? Yeah, but it's, he'll get through this, he'll get around it. I have no doubt this, this his being grounded isn't going to last a month either. No, no way. It's, um, a, no, it's a nothing sentence, right? Again, yeah. these consequences are, are nil. Yeah. Really, it's it's not the consequence that you know he needs, mm-hmm. right? He'll get a different consequence later in life as a result. Mm-hmm. Yep. Speaking of consequence, Matush gets absolutely brutalized by Furio. We're gonna take a walk. <laughs> I gotta say, I think this is so funny. It's ninety five percent Jackie Junior's fault that this happened. Yeah. But I love that he said, "Don't deal it in the club. Go outside." Matush is in the parking lot. Right next to the club, and they just grab him like. And then he tries to name drop Chris. I love it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Furio. So Matush is in the hospital. He's all busted up. Did you tell him? <laughs> did you tell him I talked to you or whatever? And uh, like Matush says, I did exactly what you said. I don't think they like you. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give me the thing? She get the nurse to help you. Uh, so Jackie's just such a shit. He, uh, <laughs> maybe she'll be fine and give you a cheap thrill. God. So Jackie's just completely failed Enterprise here with that whole situation. Poor Matouche. But Ralphie is, uh, schooling him a little bit in the kitchen in the next scene. By the way, Ralphie's a tip for all you would-be Italian cooks out there. That's legit. Yep. You, you throw it back in the pot, a little heat on there, butter, a little bit of sauce, mix, stir it up 30, 45 seconds. It'll keep the pasta from clumping. It's very good. I wrote, miraculously, Ralphie gives some good advice. Yeah, first I've time I've also ever. taken sure it. Does. Yeah. <laughs> I've also done that. It does work, yeah. Yep. Also, this scene's quite short, um, and it's one of like the best Ralphie Severino scenes. It's really yeah. good. Yeah, this is a good it's scene. It's a good short scene. It's kind of endearing. You really kind of hate how much you end up liking Ralph when he's being, like, normal Ralph. Yeah. It's really a shame. Uh, I mean, he's really a shame, yeah. right? He's, <laughs> he's a, a total just a monster. Yeah. And I love just, this is so intentional, because the costuming on the show is so good. You know, he's like, he's being a little chef, right? He's got his cute little apron on. It's so cute. He's so cute. Ralphie's always so cute. Oh, yeah, here's this thirty-eight pistol, you know. Yeah. By the way, the only genuinely given gift in the whole show, get out of here, your money's no good. Ralphie has nothing to gain by giving this kid a gun. He just does it. True. Yeah. The world doesn't have much to gain from this kid having a gun. Right. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, uh, fun scene, and yeah, Ralphie gives him a thirty-eight, A great gun, but not one that Jackie should have at all. And then we get this, uh, the latest Tony Gloria date. They've have some kind of swank hotel room, it looks like. Gorgeous. Yeah. Palatial and, uh, hotel room, yeah. Yep. This, this is kind of like maybe... It's got to be the plaza or something, right? Yeah, this is maybe where he wanted to... This is what he wanted to do in the first place. I'll take you to the Sherry Netherlands. Yeah, oh yeah, this, there you go. So they went to the zoo yeah, first. Yeah. And, now, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they're dancing, and uh, she's like, I don't expect anything from you except kindness. They're Liar. <laughs> Liar. Just right. not true. And What uh, are the terms of the kindness? Right. What Just like, what are the terms of gifts? Exactly. She makes comments about him being vain. She sits him down, gets on her knees, finds the gun. 38. Tony has a 38. Again, more parallels of Jackie emulating Tony. Having a 38 on him right after the scene where Ralphie gives Jackie a 38. Not an accident. She pulls it up. Tony says, some of my clients are in rough neighborhoods. She says, I know, <laughs> I know why you lie, but you don't have to. So now we know that Gloria has pieced together who this is. 
what he's all about. Yeah, though I suspect that she knew already. She probably knew already, but this is kind of like her affirmation to him. Like, you know, it's okay. I know who you are, and I'm fine with it. So that's the subtext there. Her holding this gun holds a much higher tension than it would if we didn't just find out that she had a suicide attempt in another relationship. You know what I mean? So I think that extra tension of this person has some at least potential to harm herself and who knows what else is now holding Tony's loaded gun, which they, again, make a point to iterate. So this scene had a certain yucky tension to it. I don't know how else to describe it, but it was like, you don't feel good watching it. I didn't. Anyway, not that it's not a good scene, but because we have to stress that, you know, we get, we get emails sometimes from people that uh, <laughs> when we describe a scene or an episode as unpleasant, it means we don't like it. It just means it made us feel bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this scene also really does a nice job with uh, playing with that uh, bladed edge of sensuality, right? Yeah. Uh, passion so hot that it can burn, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's dangerous. This is a dangerous game they're playing, yeah. right? And, and this really outlines that with the gun as a symbol in the scene as well. It's a great scene. Yeah. yeah, well, as you guys said, I think when we started recording that maybe this isn't like the most explosive like of the back half season three episodes, but we're setting up a lot here, and this scene is certainly one where I'm feeling like, when is the other shoe going to drop? Right. Right. Something's happening here. Yeah. Maybe it's a slow burn, but it's happening. Back in Melfi's office, I feel for her again. She's trying to elicit this from Tony. She wants honesty out of Tony. Tony's expressing that he's happy. I wrote in my notes here, she says she's happy. Tony says she's happy. But these are not happy people. Right. This is all a house of cards. This is a facade she tries to get it out of him. Tony drops the Buddhist line, and she picks right up on it. Your thoughts have kind of an Eastern flair. Well, I did grow up in New Jersey. That's <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so funny. That's funny writing. That's very good. So Melfi knows. She resents it. Unfortunately, the session comes to an end. Tony overpays her for the good results. She turns it down. Give it to your favorite charity. She's holding the money when she calls Jason. Expresses the frustration we've been reading off of her. I hate my patients. They lie. They they, they lie to me. They don't have any respect for what I do, you know. And then uh, Jason needs a couple expensive books. She looks down at the money, and I think that was a fun moment there. Jason, probably one of her more favorite charities. So why not? <laughs> yeah, a gift of money as well. Yep. Yep. Here. Yep. Tony goes into his underground casino we're kind of wrapping up the episode here getting toward the last couple beats this casino looks cool this is not the first time we've seen this casino but it's the first time i kind of noticed it it's like oh it's just like upstairs in an apartment and then you come in and it's just like this hustling bustling illegal yeah. like that looks fun i'd i'd hang out there yeah so would i <laughs> and uh tony sees jackie there not thrilled to see him there jackie's oh i got brought in by a bachelor party i didn't even want to come Tony tells him, get the fuck out of here, and one last smarten up. This is the first scene they have together after Tony tells him, I want the best from you, so he's not happy to see her. Can I just say something very briefly about the way that the scene starts? I'm sure you guys noticed this. Tony comes up behind Jackie, I think, when he's playing blackjack. Mm. And Tony and Jackie can feel that there's a presence, but he doesn't know it's Tony. And that Jackie is different. Yeah. I'm not looking for any teammates. Yeah. It's like, oh, right, this guy's a pig. Yeah, very good pickup, yeah. I yeah. thought that was interesting, yeah. Saw the Jackie that we see in scenes that he's not at Tony's house. Yeah, right. Yeah. Not on his best behavior, yeah. as Carmelo would say. Yep, so that's good, and uh, Tony's not thrilled with that. 
they go back, uh, and then we get this last scene at the Soprano house. This is a fun moment because Carmela, from earlier on, the first scene in the episode, has Tony and Carmela have swapped positions. Carmela's like, hey, you know what? Jackie helps out around the house. He's, she's seen him helping with AJ. She saw him clean the garage. He's taking uh, Meadow to go see Aita, <laughs> which I loved that little mix-up. Aida, of course, is a Broadway musical that was running at this time, uh, Elton John musical, mm-hmm. and um, he brings her in for some culture. I gotta say, uh, you know, as long as her school performance keeps up, this could be worse. And we get this lingering look on Tony's face that suggests he's kind of starting to have some reservations about this Jackie Meadow thing. So he's exactly where Carmela was earlier, and Carmela's right where Tony is, you know, was earlier. So that's a fun little swip, uh, switch. And then we just get uh, played out as the music kicks up and we just see some leaves falling. AJ's cleaning the gutters. And you hear the knocking and walking on the roof and the leaves fall and we're out. Any final thoughts on the Telltale Mozzarella? I think a deceptively simple episode. I think it has a lot of complexity and a lot of emotional complexity. And it's one of the episodes that, because it's a setup episode, it has a lot of value that doesn't pay off until later. I will say it's a particularly interesting setup episode. Mm-hmm. I was um, really invested in this. Yeah. Uh, and I think it was almost more fun to be titillated by what the episode is teasing for the future than it is to just see those things pay off immediately. Uh, because we are now, the, the stakes are raised. We're really brought up to this high level of intrigue. What's going to happen with Jackie Jr.? Uh, what's going to happen with Gloria? Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're really looking to the future with like, okay, things are, are becoming less uh, stayed. Uh, things are, are becoming more tense. Uh, and we're now familiar as viewers of The Sopranos going into this part of a season to know that like, okay, we're right at where this thing turns. And this episode is kind of the fulcrum for that, right? It's kind of the last thing before a big push into uh, some more madness. Yeah, I couldn't put it any better than Jordan in saying that I enjoyed being titillated in this way of being uh, introduced to some new storylines, some new threads, continuing on some old ones. Even that ending image of, as you said eloquently, Chris, they have seemingly switched places, and now Carmela's feeling pretty good about Jackie's performance, quote-unquote, and... Tony is there with this, he has to sit with this secret knowledge that you see on his face. And they both sit there and eat quietly. And then we see the the scuff coming out of the gutters and it falls down. And I was like, again, like, even as this episode is fading out, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm. So I'm ready to watch next week, you know. So I thought, yeah, it was very effective. Yeah. Yep. This is the tranquility and the domestic nature of their life that is constantly threatened by whatever else is out there and that thread is growing and there's definitely a beautiful unease underneath all of this and i love it this was a great episode michael imperioli as writer is two for two he did uh from where to eternity in season two all-time classic as far as i'm concerned and then a very very well done kind of mid-season episode here I'm mentioning this because Michael Imperioli is a very controversial episode coming up uh, as far as his writing is concerned. So we'll talk about that when we get there. But I just want to make a note that Imperioli, as far as writing on the show, is is concerned. Two for two. Great job. Fun episode. We're we're here. We're we're about to get into the double-digit episodes, 10, 11, 12, 13. So season three, it flew by, guys. I feel like we just started. Always goes by so fast. But anyway, we'll see you next time for a Sopranos Christmas special. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we'll see you. We're going to deck the halls with Syl and Polly 
next week. <laughs> Put my foot up an ass.